All right, let's, let's, let's get right to it. I'm excited about this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would anoint the words today of your, of your uh, scripture, your holy words. God, I pray that they would be elevated and central to our thinking and our conversation here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you a question. So can you think of a time in your life where you're headed in one direction, your, your life is just moving, right? And, and you're not thinking too much about the journey. You're just going along with the flow. Then all of a sudden, something happens, just in a moment, in an instant. Like you get a phone call, and the minute that you get the phone call, you know, like it's the middle of the night, and you just know it's bad news. You pick up the call, everything changes, bad news. Somebody's passed away, something's happened. Um, maybe all of a sudden you get a text from a friend, and you read the text, and all of a sudden your heart just drops. And you're like, man, it's all, it's all different from this point on. Like in a single moment, Somebody ever had that happen? Just in a single moment, everything radically changes. You know, it, it, maybe it's like a relationship. You kind of thought like, hey, I, I, really, I really thought we were so close. Like we were tight. We were besties. And then it just wasn't the same after that. Maybe it was a conversation. Maybe an employer came up to you. And, you, and then in that moment, you know, with a, you just thought, wow, I thought I was secure in my job. And now you're telling me that I'm laid off. Like it, just in a moment, everything changes. And maybe it's not even just bad news. It could be good news, too. Just in a moment, like, you're just heading in one direction, and, and life changes. I got a text one time from a friend of mine, and it was like, hey, do you want to come out to Moscow, Idaho, and help, like, reboot a church, like, replant a church? That's why I'm here. You're like, a text. It's like, it all changed immediately. It's like a transfer, a promotion that you've been waiting for, and you just get that opportunity, that call. It's really cool. But, you know, I think what more significant than just those moments are the sort of like game-changing worldview moments where everything shifts within our thinking. I can remember like watching a movie. One time I was watching like Schindler's List. Like this dates me a little bit, but I remember when it came out. And uh, so, and, and I remember like watching in horror because I never really thought that humans behave, I mean, you know, you just kind of know like from history class, but then to see it and just something about it was really real. Like I realized, wow, people can be really evil. Like in a way, it's so evil to other humans. And, and I just, I was a worldview shifting moment, like a game changing moment for me. You ever had that happen? Like, you know, you just thought, I, I can't think of humanity the same way after this. Like everything changed. It's, it's unsettling. It's like that you feel almost a little sick to your stomach when that happens, but you know from that moment on, everything's different. I, I want to kind of zero in, in God's word on a story. The story of a guy who has one of those moments where in this like absolute moment, everything that he thought was right was undone. Everything that he had committed his life to, studied for, given everything for, it was all wrong. And it's all framed by a simple verse. I, I mentioned it earlier. It's Philippians 1.21. And the verse is this. Perhaps you've heard it. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But the three words that we're going to focus on, it's not the live is Christ and it's not the die is gain. It's the for to me. And maybe you haven't thought of this part of the verse. You know, you just, in your mind, you sort of go automatically to, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Today, I want us to think about for to me. For to me. The Apostle Paul, of course, he's the me. He's the me in the story. 
And if you don't know who he is, he wrote most of the New Testament. He wrote 13 books of the Bible. He's massive in his influence on Scripture. Uh, Paul is... uh, the, the grounding of our understanding of what theology and, and salvation is, and in particular, his masterpiece, Romans, stands as a tribute to Paul's unraveling the mysteries of Christ in a way that is, honestly, it's, it's brilliant and it's systematic, but for many of us, it's kind of hard to understand. In fact, Peter said, you know, Paul, uh, he's... He, he's a great writer, but sometimes Paul is kind of hard to follow. Anybody ever feel that way? I, I do. Sometimes I'm reading Paul, and I'm like, it's kind of hard to understand. It's, you've got to really dig in and unpack it. So Paul is this brilliant theologian. But in this, um, in this, in this for to me, Paul, Paul is bringing this, this text to us in a way that is so personal and so close. He's not saying for to you, He's not saying for to the church. He's saying for to me. He, he brings it close to his chest. And he's wanting to tell us something personal about it. And I think, again, maybe we thought more about the to live is Christ, to die is gain. But I want to unpack the for to me. Because to fully understand the to live is Christ and to die is gain, man, you've got to understand the full weight and the full power behind for to me. And so in order to do that, I want to take you to a scene in the Bible. It's found in Acts chapter 7 through 9, and you can go there if you'd like. But I want to just give you a warning really quickly to the squeamish, because the Bible sometimes gives us uh, pictures of things that are uncomfortable. And sometimes they're even a little graphic or explicit, but they're purposeful. They're not just stuck there to just gross us out. They're not really, we're not like zeroing in on a story, just sort of like a horror movie just to get scared or anything. But we're going to look at the scene to understand it because it's going to add purpose to the for to me. And in order to do that, I need to introduce another character in the scene. And his name, he's a guy named Stephen. Stephen is, I mean, he is a dude you'd want to hang out with. I mean, I don't know. You'd want to go grab a cup of coffee with him, sit down with Stephen. He's a great guy. He's, he's, he's a servant, so they elect him to be what's called a deacon. And a deacon is just a, somebody in, that serves in the church. Like, you might actually be a deacon here in this room. Somebody that serves, the idea is that they take the burden of ministry off so the apostles could go around and preach the gospel, but yet in the community they could get their needs met. So a guy named Stephen was elected as part of seven people. People, the very first servant deacons. But there's something else about Stephen. He's not only that, he's a gifted orator. I mean, he is, uh, he preaches a sermon that it goes for a whole chapter and, it, and it's amazing. Like, the, Stephen is a dude. The dude. He is so cool, Stephen is. I mean, he, so he, what he does then is he starts challenging the religious elite. He goes after them for their, their, their hypocrisy. He goes after them for their lies. He, he challenges them. He, he is, he's a truth teller. Stephen drills down to the very essence of, of the gospel. And so this mob starts gathering around Stephen one day. And uh, they, they are, they're ticked, I mean, frankly. They are, they're starting to talk about doing justice in air quotes, to, this, to Stephen. They're going to get rid of this guy. And what happens, you start to see that rage, like is searing rage starting to permeate this, this whole scene. The, the air is just filled with it. And, and so they begin to assault Stephen. They bind him. 
they, they drag him out. They actually take some, uh, some people and they, they ask him, hey, you know, could you bear false witness against Stephen? Maybe say, like, make up some stuff that he said. Even if it's not true, that's totally fine. So they kind of elicit the support of some liars. Um, they, they get him out of the city, away from the Roman authorities, and they give him a chance to speak. And so as he opens up his voice, he proclaims the, the good news of Christ uh, fearlessly. And in, in verse 54, Acts chapter 7, it says, And for when they heard these things, man, they were enraged. They were mad. And they ground their teeth at him. I don't know what that must have sounded like, but it doesn't sound pleasant. It sounds like somebody that's really angry. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So in this scene, where everybody's gathering around, everybody wants to do him harm, he sees what? The glory of God. The heavens opening up. He sees joy. I, I mean, that's the byproduct of facing Jesus. He couldn't stand what they were hearing. This is just making him more and more mad. I mean, this is building up in the scene, so you've got to follow with me for a minute. They cry out with a loud voice in verse 57, and they stop their ears. What a juvenile move was that? Like, you know, it's like a, my, my 11-year-old kid. You know, ah, oh, la, la, you know. Uh, they stopped their ears. I can't listen. And they rushed at him. They charged him. And so here's this young man. He's full of promise. Uh, like many of you, he's an up-and-comer. Up he's smart. He's a servant. He's an orator. He's a truth-teller, speaking truth. But he's about to suffer this torturous death at the hands of angry men. Now, the Bible actually spares this sort of the brutal details of the story. The Bible just says, then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. But what I want to do is, is to illustrate the scene because there's another player in this scene around Stephen that will come into focus in just a moment. But in this moment, I want to, I want to tell you what it must have been like because it's worth thinking through what stoning is and what it's all about. It's definitely not a pleasant scene. I'm just going to warn you for a minute. It's, it's not pleasant because it's not like you're shooting a gun at somebody from a distance. Like it's not a drive-by situation. You're up close and you're personal. You're face-to-face, eye-to-eye. And you and all your friends and your tribe, you gather together the largest, most jagged stones that you can. And you, with your own muscles, you aim at another human being with their eyes, with their flesh, and you throw this stone at them. It's up close. It's personal. Can you imagine the horror of the sight of it? How about the horror, just the smell of what's going on? I mean, it had to have smelled horrendous, just the sweat and the, the bodily fluids and everything. I mean, it just imagine the unforgettable sounds, just the sickening thud of a jagged rock hitting human flesh, and a young man's confused last gasps of breath. I mean, it was horrific. But the moral component to this is even more just disturbing. Here you have like a bunch of religious people, zealous. They believe they're right. They believe they're doing this for the good of the kingdom of God. And so they have gathered together, and they just, I mean, these people have a knack for nastiness. And they're face-to-face -face with the suffering, and they're mocking. They're mocking Stephen to his final breath. And in the heat, the smell of men just working up their sweat, 
mixes with the odor of the blood and the fluid of this young man just slipping into eternity. It's, it's again, it's a horrific scene. And there's no camera to record it. There's no Instagram, no social media. There's no one to call. There's no paramedics that are coming to rescue him. <clears throat> there's no assistance on the way. Only the flurry of rocks striking First flesh, then muscle, then bone. Maybe, maybe to cool off. Maybe just to get a better range of motion. They're hot. They start taking off their cloaks, and a man steps forward. He's offering to be a coat check for them. I'll hold your coats. Not only is he a coat check, he is there to be a cheerleader. He's a trusted theologian. He's well-known and well-respected here amongst his tribe. As an eyewitness to each brutal thump of a rock against this young man. He doesn't get his hands dirty. He doesn't pick up a rock, but his hands are clapping instead. He's cheering it on. He's saying, go, do it, do it, do it. And he's anxious, anxious in his heart for this young blasphemer to just die. And in verse 58... And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul approved of his execution. Yeah. Saul, also known by his Roman name, Paul, is the very Paul that wrote, For to me. All part of this new career move of Paul. He is a murderer. He's kidnapping He's driving Christians out of their homes. He's locking them up. He is not an executioner, but he's an arresting officer. He's in a mission, on a mission to stamp this movement out, to stamp Jesus out, to stamp this movement out. The way will not exist anymore. Christianity will not take root. Not if I have anything to do with it. That's his mission. And, and I'm telling you something. Paul is this rare breed. He is brilliant. Like many of you, he is a student, and he is not only a student, he's a teacher. He is a rabbi. He is, this guy is brimming with information. Not only that, he's a radical activist. He's a doer. So he's gifted as a thinker, but he's also a doer. And that makes him this really amazing dynamic package. I mean, he's a force to be reckoned with. Not only does he buy into the mission of stamping out Christianity, he is organizing raids himself. His zeal and his conviction will just absolutely see this through as he stamps out this movement, this Jesus movement, and it just becomes a memory. And you know what? At night, Paul lays his head down on the pillow and he sleeps like a baby because he's right, he thinks. He thinks I'm right. That's what he's doing. If somebody asked him, hey, Paul, you know what? There was this uh, woman, I heard her, she was speaking to a neighbor and she was talking to that neighbor about the way. Paul might have said to this person, you know what? Go, grab her, lock her up. Let's go to her house. Let's throw away the key. And it was in some of these discussions that Paul actually began to plan a, 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 an incursion into this place called Damascus. And he was up there to like harass and persecute this group of believers. And he starts on this road in this journey to Damascus in an ordinary day, ordinary trajectory of his life. And then about noon, high heat, 
like something hits him like a ton of bricks and he falls down on the ground and he's knocked down. And all of a sudden, this rational scholar, this, this lawyerly debater, this guy who is, is just full of zeal, he is bathed in supernatural glory. He doesn't even understand it. And this, this shuddering presence, it beams like light all around him, and he's completely blinded. His body isn't responding. But then there's this voice that starts speaking. And the voice isn't just like an anonymous voice speaking randomly out there. It's calling him by name. It's, giving, it's calling him by his, the name that his mother gave him. And the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. I am Jesus. And in that moment, like, the searing rage just gives way, and it, and it just melts away in his life, and it gives, it gives way to this strange desire to pray. He doesn't know what to do, so he just starts praying. And, and his eyes are blinded, and, and he, his body isn't functioning, and, he's, and he's, just, he's just praying. He's crying out. He just, he, up is now down. What was learned and believed is now, is now revealed to be completely false. This is the moment where it began to be for Paul, for to me. A new life, a new life for Paul, a new season for Paul, a new history for the church, brand new history for the church. And you know what Paul does? Paul is the instrument that God uses almost more than anyone else in history to move the gospel across three continents. Paul is responsible for being a missionary to the Gentiles. Literally, the work of Paul is the reason why you and I are standing here together. By the Holy Spirit, the, the church explodes, but Paul is a great instrument of God's glory. And Paul ends up dying a tragic death, but in that moment, you know, for him, it was gain, because remember, to die is gain. And we get back to the rest of Philippians 1.21, and we start looking at it, and now we understand what it means, right? For to me, for to me, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, that sort of rolls off the lips, right? So my question is, do you believe that? Like, do you believe to live is Christ and to die is gain? Because, I mean, if we're honest for a second, I kind of feel like for most of us, if we were going to put it the way that we would want to put it, it would be like to live is gain and to die is Christ. Because that sounds good, right? That's probably how I would have phrased it. Because many of us, that's where we're at. We're yearning for a bountiful life, a life of joy and plenty and prosperity, and then just followed by eternal glory. But not Paul. Not Paul. He says, for me to live is Christ, but to die, oh man, it's gain. It's gain. What does it mean to live as Christ? So as for Paul's life after this, his, let's call it his post-Damascus life. What was that like? Did he get up in victory? Did he like charge in and it was all glory? You know, did he turn his troubles into trophies? Did he turn his scars into stars? Did it all work out great for him? You know, you know the story. It didn't work out all that way for him, right? He, he, so, so his destiny wasn't just to win it all with health and, and riches. It, he describes his own life pretty well in 2 Corinthians 11. And, you know, I'm not going to read it all the way through. But if you get a chance to go back and read 2 Corinthians 11, it's pretty amazing when you do that. And if I kind of take and blend it in to Philippians 121, 
it kind of works out in this really beautiful way. So I'm going to go in and use Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 11, and let's, let's kind of merge it with to live as Christ and to die as gain. So uh, let me start. Work tirelessly. To work tirelessly is Christ. To be in prison frequently is Christ. To be flogged severely, it's Christ. To be exposed to death again and again is Christ. To receive 40 lashes minus one is Christ. To be beaten three times with rods is Christ. To be pelted with stones, does that sound familiar? Remember that? Is Christ. To be shipwrecked three times is Christ. To spend a night and a day in the open sea is Christ. To be constantly on the move is Christ. To be in danger from rivers, bandits, from his fellow Jews and from Gentiles is Christ. To be in danger in the city, in the country, at sea, from false believers is Christ. To labor and toil and go without sleep is Christ. To be cold and naked is Christ. To escape arrest is Christ. Pre-Damascus, you know who would have been able to really identify with Paul's lifestyle? The very people that he abused, the very people that he persecuted. I mean, they were victims of none other than Paul himself. Other question for you. Are you afraid of what you've done? That it's so bad, and that if your story were to come out, and you were to be exposed, and everybody knew, that there's, there'd be no forgiveness. That if God really knew, that, if, that God is somehow against you because of your story, and that if he really knew, and, he, and you let him know, and you let him in, that, that he would be embarrassed or he would be ashamed of you and that your story would end there. You know what Paul said? He said this, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For to him, he was forgiven and he was given a new life. And I would imagine that whatever you've done, privately, publicly, whatever it is, that it doesn't compare to the life of Paul persecuting and murdering and driving Christians to jail and prison. Paul was an exterminator of a movement of, of believers. And, and if God can take Paul and literally use him as a spearhead to reach an entire, an entire world for Jesus Christ, what can he do with your life and your story? And, and Paul said this, forgetting what is behind, I press on toward the higher calling. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What is he to you? What is valuable? What is worth? What is, what, is, what is worth something to you? And are you letting your past know what you've done? Do you really think that God can't use you? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What happened in Paul that he went from persecuting to being the greatest living example of somebody that if you throw a rock at him, joy, you put him in prison, joy. He's going to sing a song. I mean, you could not, like, stamp Paul down. You could not knock him down. You couldn't crush his spirit. He was just going to be like, joy. It's going to be joy. I'm full of it. I'm just going to have joy in my life. I'm going to sing a song. You cannot, like, people tried over and over and over again to squash this guy, and it, he would not be squashed. He would not be. He was rock solid in his determination to to finish this movement that was begun by Jesus. Listen to the voice on the Damascus road. Jesus himself, he said in Mark 8, verse 36, 
For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world? My question is this to you. What do you hope to gain? What are you pursuing? And what will it be worth in the end? In in the end, when you stand uh, and receive that diploma, when you get what you've been looking for in your career, when you marry, when you have children, when you have these major events in your life, these big wins in your life, like this will happen, right? God, I'm hoping that it will happen for all of us. And the thing is, they're all great. These are all momentous occasions to be celebrated. But the question is this, in the end, what will really be, what will be a value to you? It will be those lasting connections and life experiences that are shaped and molded by a God who transforms you. Now, maybe it's a moment. Maybe it's like, maybe this is the moment where Jesus is showing up to you and you've been putting him off. You've been ignoring him. Like my story, you just don't understand, Pastor Scott, it's so bad. God could never love me. He could never pay attention to me. You know, you're a pastor. Your life is probably perfect. No. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What do you hope to gain and what will be it worth in the end? Imagine if today was that moment when for you everything changed. It can. When you're headed in one direction and all of a sudden something happens and you turn around and you head in a totally different direction. Worldview changes. He, Jesus, changes the equation. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to ask you, did you come in maybe today and just just to have a religious experience? Did you come in today just to think that, okay, maybe I'll have some pulled pork at the end and then Jesus somehow showed up in your heart and he's speaking to you and he's saying, yes, I know what you did. I know your story. I know what you've been through. And I still love you. And I still want a relationship with you. And I want to change you, transform you. I pray in this moment that the God of heaven, the God of Paul, the God that stopped him on the road to Damascus and blinded him completely would change and transform our lives. And then God, I love the part of the story when the scales fall off of Paul's eyes and he can see with fresh eyes. I ask God today that every heart and mind and eye here today, that the scales, those things that are obscuring truth in us would begin to fall away as we pursue truth, as we pursue you, God, that you are a God who cares about the reality of our lives right now. Help us today, every heart, soul, and mind in Jesus' name.